When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. After a month of post-World Cup recuperation, we are back, baby, for a new season. But a fair bit, and I say fair, has happened since the last pod, hasn't it? On today's show, we discuss a summer of scandal inside the Spanish Football Federation and Manchester United and how both have threatened to overshadow players' achievements on the pitch. We also give our verdicts on the best transfers of the summer and preview the inaugural Nations League because, yes, somehow international football is back again. Did we want it back this early? Controversially, maybe not. Um, It's back before the WSL season has even started. Okay, first things first, Rach. I mean... It doesn't feel like two minutes ago that we were sat in the in the stadium in Australia at the final. There was a man continuously banging the doors. Door. It was so frustrating. And yet here we are just a, a fraction of time later, uh, heading into international football and heading to the WSL in a couple of weeks time. I mean, what have you been up to in the three minutes that you've had since that time? Uh, not resting, Chloe, because apparently there's no such thing in football. It is all of the time. Um, there's a definite hat tip to the Spanish Federation for making that post-World mm. Cup week uh, an absolute nightmare because it just we were on a different time zone again. We were in LA and uh, every morning we'd wake up at like five o'clock being like, oh, sake, something other bullshit has gone on again um, with Ruby Alice and he's still here. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a mad few weeks has it mm. been a few weeks um I'm currently in Ireland uh reminding my family what I look like um before nice. the season starts so I haven't been home since April and that was for a funeral for about two days so this is a bit more of an extended period and um, what about you have you had a relaxing time break 
no. So after the World Cup, I did tour around Australia a little bit with my mum. Uh, I went back to Brisbane. So we did Sydney to Brisbane. Uh, car trip was amazing. Saw some koalas, saw some kangaroos, and I actually got to see things that were outside of my hotel room, which was amazing. And I got some clean pants. So all was well. <laughs> Thank God. For both me and my mother. Um, yeah, and then came back, and obviously there was just so much to catch up on with the Spanish Federation, Manchester United, uh, all the transfers that were just hot, flying off the press every single day. We had the WSL Media Day a week ago in the hottest, sweatiest smoking room in the We all need new pants again, Chloe, after that. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It was absolutely vile. It was a press pack melting pot. Um, yeah, and then now we're straight into the WSL in a couple of weeks' time. And this Friday, we've got a big international fixture which no. will determine no. Olympic qualification. So, right. I think if we don't talk about it, it doesn't happen. Oh, I see. Right, okay. Bury your heads in the sand. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And then just sort of pretend none of this is happening and just start the WSL season completely fresh with this kind of like new in, in, renewed vigour for how things mm. are going to be and how progressive this year is going to be for women's football. But before we get into the positivity, the transfers, the international fixtures, the amazing kind of, you know, budgets that have been spent in getting all these international superstars over, we have to talk about what's been happening in the Spanish Football Federation after Spain's World Cup winning squad. Uh, they were called up yesterday uh, for international duty for the first time since the World Cup, despite 21 of the World Cup squad being on strikes as of last Friday and saying they would not return until certain conditions were met. Despite those players telling the Spanish Federation that they would not be called up, essentially giving them the fuck off, uh, the Spanish Federation thought it was a, an, a, an amazing idea to call those players up for international duty with this kind of game-playing mentality, I think, that they were then going to be subject to sanctions and some kind of qualification, some kind of penalties, I think, in terms of if they weren't called up and then they could you know, be banned from football for two years or face some kind of fines, things like that. So... It just feels like you think things are going slightly in the right direction. Some kind of positive progress has been made. Rubiales has been sacked. You know, there's a new head coach in Jorge Field has been sacked. You know, there seems to be some small progress. And then the Federation are like, ha, 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 got you. <laughs> Joke, lol. <laughs> I mean, Rachel, what is your take on all of this? Where do you start? <laughs> Where do you start? Because by the time this goes out, we'll probably be out of date again because something else <laughs> will have happened. But it feels like the Federation out of one side of their mouth, they're like, come back. Everything's fine. Everything's safe now, except for you, Jenny Hermoso. That's why we're not calling you up. We want to keep you safe. But everybody else, it's fine. And then at the other side of their mouth, they're like, if you don't come, we're going to go to court. And you're like, guys, <laughs> have you learned nothing in the last three to four weeks? Um, they're just showing their true colours all over again. Uh, which is is quite disappointing. I just think that like they're basically doing the bare minimum that they think makes them look good, uh, you know. Th- and we saw that from the get go. They backed Ruby Alice for as long as they possibly could um until they realized that his position was no longer tenable as president and then they were like oh shit switch tax no uh you know everything's fine we love the players we want to protect them um you know it's full of machoism nepotism cronyism why would any of the players trust that federation 
The answer is they can't, uh, and none of us can. Uh, obviously, like Jenny's obviously brought the criminal charges now, so Ruby Alice is obviously going through the criminal investigation at the same time. The players have sent out this second uh, very long statement, but this time it's only been signed by 39 of the players, where the first one was signed by 81 players. I mean, to me, that kind of suggests that whilst they're obviously all pushing for change, there are maybe different ways in which the players are going about the change they want to see, and also what's obviously important for them. And I don't think we can have any kind of sense of, okay, well, this is the right way to approach it. I mean, none of those players in the sort of lead up to the World Cup, the ones who refuse to be called up for international duty, should at all in any way be criticised for going to the World Cup and performing as they did. I mean, I completely understand both sides of it. If you want to, you know, not play at all, and that's how you're going to say take your defiant stance, or if you're going to play and sort of show things, you know, perform at the highest level, get all these achievements, and then use the platform to do something about it, absolutely understand both both perspectives. But it does suggest, obviously, with the sort of almost half the players not getting involved in the second statement, that there is sort of some discord there in the way they want to manage the situation, would you say? Do you think? But... Were, weren't those 81, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is a difficult story to stay on top of with every single bit of detail in it, but didn't that include like underage groups as well? Like yeah. it wasn't just senior team players. And I don't know what the calendar looks like at the moment because I'm still trying to get my head around the fact that Nations League is back, never mind getting ready for the WSL. But could it have something to do with the fact that the next match is the seniors, is the senior squad. And so it's, I guess, potentially more relevant to them and they have a bit more power right now in this situation to make a change because an under-17 or under-19 player saying, you can't call me up, maybe isn't as impactful right now when mm-hmm. it's the, the senior squad going up. I mean, maybe that's who is going to get called up again, like we saw the last time with last 15, where they just called up younger players. Um, so I don't know. And, and maybe, look... Federation will use that as an example that there is a rift, but I'm I'm not sure that's necessarily the case. I mean, at this stage, it's going to be Athena Del Castillo versus uh, Sweden on Friday, <laughs> um, awkwardly. So I don't know how she's going to fare, but it could be. Uh, I'm in, really intrigued to see how that goes. Um, is it going to be like a straight forfeit? I heard rumours, or not rumours, but who told me? Could have been Sophie. Um, that if Sweden agree to fo- not play the game they could share the points. And I don't know, like that's obviously a lot to ask of another nation given these matches now hold weight and matter. Um, But it will be interesting to see how that plays out. But there were, there were quite a few of the Swedish players who've come out in support on Twitter, especially saying they fully back, even after the state, the the sort of call up yesterday saying they're fully back and support um, what the players are doing and fully kind of appreciate, you know, the, the battles that are still ongoing. So a part of me does feel like that could be something that Sweden... I don't know, you'd be raging, wouldn't you? You've just stole out your bloody stadium. <laughs> You're like, oh. It's that, but I think I think that is the, that's kind of like the put your money where your mouth is in terms of the support that other countries are going to be showing in Spain. Everyone came out and, you know, the Lionesses were one of the first to sort of, you know, post on Twitter about the support they were giving to Jenny Hermoso. So I think it is a sort of case of how far are these countries also Are you willing to, to lose points? Yeah, yeah. You wanted to forfeit the Olympics. Should everyone just boycott the Olympics? Is that where this the Olympics whole thing... didn't do anything wrong? Don't blame the Olympics. <laughs> I'm not 
blame the Olympic. God, that's I'm not really saying, honest. It's, it's the Women's Nations League. If no one can yeah. qualify, then if Spain can't qualify, then no one can qualify. That kind of thing. And then, and then where does it all sit? Um, but yeah, I've got to agree. I mean, you, you, it is just a case, I suppose, of waiting to see what uh, the new coach, Monse Tome, says. New about- coach. I mean, have you ever heard such shite? They basically just brought in the assistant coach. It's like putting Vilda in with a wig. Like, And also, you've just had a World Cup winning team and you're like, cool, the new coach is going to be someone who's never coached a national team as head coach before. That to me sounds like a federation that are taking matters very seriously. Very seriously. Okay. To try and make some sense of this incredibly unusual a horrendous situation that is moving there's moving parts every single there's limbs coming off it it's, it's crazy uh, and to understand everything that's happened since that final night uh, when Louis Rubiales uh, kissed Tomoso on the lips without her consent before the Spain before Spain lifted the trophy we spoke to Spanish football journalist and presenter Semra Hunter yesterday afternoon before the squad was announced listen up because she knows what's happening and it's hard to decipher Thanks so much for joining us, Semra. So much has happened uh, these past few weeks. First, Jorge Vilda was sacked. Then Louis Rubiales tried to cling on in the most tragic way possible before finally resigning in an interview uh, with Piers Morgan. Uh, so what's the latest now? I mean, I understand Rubiales was in court last week. Of course. And honestly, you may need to help me because so much happened. It's very likely that I forget something in the timeline because this has been going on for almost a month straight. Um, it's now open investigation in the criminal courts. The other day, he has had to go there and speak in front of a judge, give his point of view, explain uh, everything that happened. And what came from that is that he continues to deny all of the allegations and the accusations against him because they're not just looking into this as an act of sexual aggression. They're also looking into the coercion aspect of it as well, which, of course, there can be very serious consequences as a result of all of this if, in fact, he is found guilty. In the meantime, Jenny Hermoso, she's gone over to Mexico. She's with her club team. She's now enjoying football again and kind of far away from all of this. And also, by the way, at the end of the day, after going in front of the judge and speaking, the court ruled that he has a... um, a restraining order. He is not allowed to go anywhere within 200 meters of Jenny Hermoso and he cannot contact her at any point in time throughout the investigation, which honestly, more than a practical thing, it really is just a strong message. I think that the court, as well as the prosecution, are trying to say in that we're coming after you, we're coming after you hard. So this is kind of, I know, very long-winded, but it really is a nutshell explanation of everything that has happened. And guaranteed, I forgot a lot of other things that happened along the way. But uh, as it stands still, I think it's worth mentioning, the players are, in fact, on strike. The new coach was supposed to hand out her first call-up last week because they have the Nations League uh, in a few days now. And 39 players said, no, sorry, we're still not coming back. We want more changes. We can talk about that later on. So this just rolls on and it's going to go on for a very long time. So players have said they're not going to return to international duty. Uh, Spain obviously play in the Nations League on Friday against Sweden. So, so what's going to happen in the immediate term? It's a great question because a lot of us don't really know what's going to happen. This is unprecedented. So we've never found ourselves in a situation where the players are refusing to go and and represent Spain, and especially in such a short notice. I mean, they've been saying this for a long time, but I think the Federation, for some reason, either didn't believe them or thought they would have a change of heart, that maybe they would back down because of the pressure. It's been quite the opposite, actually. They've really stood very firm, 
and saying we are going to fight for what we believe in, for our values, our morals, our beliefs, as well as the fact that we demand more respect and we demand to be treated properly. And so originally, as we were saying, there were 81 players who said they weren't coming back. That number has now been reduced to 39. 39, which include 23 World Cup winners, uh, 21 actually, because one I think is retired and one has decided not to sign it in the end. But then you have the other 15 players that sent the, the email back in the day a year ago when they initially started this whole crisis and telling the Federation that they were very concerned about emotional well-being and the whole setup in general and so on. So they have adamantly said they are not coming back until there are structural changes, further structural changes within the Federation. We can come to that. They have until 11.59 Wednesday night to put a team together and to share that team with UEFA. If they don't do that, then I don't think they can actually play the games. I don't know if there's going to be any kinds of consequences as a result. There probably would be. I mean, I imagine they'd have to forfeit the three points. I don't know if they could then play in the games later on in the tournament because there's two in September, October, November. That then may mean that they forfeit the ability to play in the Olympics next summer because this is actually the way that they qualify for the Olympics. So it really is a bit of a head scratcher right now because no one really knows what's going to happen and the clock is ticking. And right now, we don't even know who the coaching staff is either. So Monte Tomé is on her own. She's by herself. This is an absolutely mad situation. Um, I mean, so all the players, are they united in this position and what they want to see change in order to come back? It doesn't seem that way. And I think one of the reasons why I say that is look at the 81 dropping down to 39. So that's basically half. Half of the players who signed the first statement didn't sign the second one. So that already kind of shows you that there is some sort of division of opinion. And it also, I think, kind of reasserts the division that was already there amongst these players over the last year. Because there have been fractures that have been taking place for the last 12 months especially going into the World Cup. Some were very clear that no matter what happened, they were not going to go back to Spain because they want to defend uh, their, their morals and their beliefs and their ethics and so on. But there were others who said, well, I don't want to miss out on the opportunity of playing the World Cup, even though all of this is going on. So there's almost kind of three groups within those that are called up normally to the Spanish national team. But now, again, you see that you have two sides to the story. You have these players who are clearly not feeling pressured or, or threatened or pick whatever word you want. And they're saying we're willing to sacrifice playing for the national team because there are bigger, more important things to be fighting for right now. And then there are others who say, well, of course, we believe in those things and we want to show our support and our solidarity. However, playing for Spain, wearing this badge, it's bigger than anybody who is running the show at the Federation. And for them, it's more important to wear those colors and to defend the colors than it is to necessarily worry about the politics that are kind of taking place right now behind the scenes. So what's the public discourse like in Spain around this story since it starts to get so much attention? <laughs> well, buckle up because there's been a lot. <laughs> I think a lot of people who are not familiar with the backstory to all of this outside of Spain I think for many of us in Spain, we all kind of saw this coming because people already knew who Luis Rubiales was, the kind of person that he is, and the long-running history that he has of very serious allegations and accusations against him. I mean, just listen to his uncle, um, Juan, Juan Rubiales. I mean, the things that he says about Luis is really just mind-blowing. It'll make you fall out of your chair. 
And he has repeatedly said that it wasn't the first time that he came out and actually gave interviews and talked to the media about this. He'd been doing it for the last several years. So a lot of these scandals and controversies, everyone in Spain already knew about them. Everyone already knew and heard of the misogynistic and sexist behavior that Luis Rubiales exhibited towards people that he was working with, of course, allegedly, because in the end, even though there were police reports filed or official complaints made to the courts, it was never actually investigated. So it never really went anywhere. And he's obviously always denied all of these things. So I think now, all of a sudden, you have a lot of those people coming out again and talking about their experiences in working with him and the treatment that they received. And so it's... It's made a lot of people, especially in the Spanish media, who have been calling for him to be removed from his post for a very long time, people are lamenting the fact that all of this could have been avoided. Because if they had dealt with the issue when they were supposed to, then this never would have happened. We wouldn't be talking about this right now. The kiss never would have happened. But the flip side is maybe something really big like this needed to happen. We needed a trigger because it does transcend football and does speak to a much bigger issue within Spanish culture and society as it relates to inequality between men and women, especially rights, and the way that women are treated by men oftentimes in the workplace, especially if there is a, a um, imbalance in terms of power and so on. So you had a lot of people talking about a lot of different things. You had people focusing on Luis Rubiales, the man, the history, what was there, and why they're not surprised that he behaved the way that he did, not just because of the kiss, but grabbing his crotch, throwing women over his shoulder, touching them also inappropriately and so on, giving them kisses on the cheeks, whatever. But then you have people talking about the deep-rooted issue within the Federation, the fact that this was just a symbol and the tip of the iceberg of a systemic issue that's going on from top to bottom. It's not just one man, it's almost everybody throughout. Then you have, on parallel, people talking about their experiences in the workplace, women in particular, and how a lot of the times they've either been ignored or they've been silenced or they've been humiliated or they've never felt as though they had the courage to speak up because nobody would believe them, no one would take them seriously, they never got the justice they felt that they deserved. So, I mean, it, it, it's just hit so many different chords here in Spain, that it really has paralyzed the nation for the last month. This is all anybody can talk about. I mean, you mentioned that people have been taking notice of these deep-rooted issues at the Spanish Football Federation. Um, what needs to happen so that Rubiales' resignation is the end of the story? Uh, and how optimistic are you that change will actually take place? So for it to go by what the female players say, then basically they need to get rid of just about everybody within the Federation. So what they've asked for in the last statement, um, if memory serves me well, it was like they want um, a reconfiguration of the overall organization and structure of women's football. They want the president to resign. It's not clear if they were referring to Ilder Rubiales or if they want Pedro Rocha, the acting president right now, if they also want him gone or not. They want the secretary general, Andrea Ocamps, to go uh, because he was also very much involved in not helping these, according to them, he really made life very difficult for them whenever everything was going down a year ago with the 15 players. And he's very much been on the side of Luis Rubiales and has been an, a fervent supporter of him and thinks very much in the same way. So they feel as though he would need to be removed of his post. They've also asked for a change in the presidential cabinet. They've asked for changes within the communications and marketing department as well as it relates to that false statement that was allegedly, you know, put out on behalf of Jenny Hermoso. They've also asked for changes within the integrity area as well. So they're really going after 
basically a lot of different parts of the Federation and they're going out hard, they're swinging really hard to make these changes. And so I fear that it's probably not going to happen the way that they want. For one thing, these kind of changes may take a very long time if in fact they take place at all, um, because I just don't see people walking away from their jobs and resigning if they haven't done it yet, they're most likely not going to. The other thing is eventually there will be elections. So with that, does that mean that if someone external is voted in, will they bring in fresh new people as well at that point in time? And another thing is that the changes they have made, they've been very cosmetic. So yes, they got rid of Luis Rubiales. Yes, they got rid of Jorge Vilda. They brought in a woman. Okay, wonderful. It's the first time it's ever happened and it's great. And it should be the case that a, a woman does get this opportunity at some point in time. But people who know her, who've worked with her, former players like Vero Boquete will tell you, the Federation, clearly either they don't understand what we're asking for or they just don't care. Because they think, here you go, here's a woman, that'll solve all the issues. And actually, that's really not the case. That's not what they're saying. They want someone who is going to be qualified, who has know-how, who has experience. Jorge Vildat was not that person. Monte Tomé, according to her, is also not that person. She's never been a head team, uh, a first team head coach. And she was also the assistant to Vilda for five years. So the belief is it's just a, a continuation of the philosophy and the methodologies and, and the belief system that was already there. I suppose the thing we've barely mentioned during this conversation is the significant and important fact that Spain have won their first Women's World Cup this year. And that's been lost over this past month. And I think that's one of the most disappointing things about what's been what's been taking place. I mean, do you agree the attention has been taken away from that achievement? And, and what are your feelings about that as well? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It has completely been overshadowed by this whole thing. And it really is unfortunate. I mean, even the players themselves, some of them, not many of them have spoken to the media since, but those that have spoken out, I mean, you just look at their faces and, and, and they have long faces and they look so sad and, and almost hurt that no one is actually talking to them about what an incredible achievement they actually did here. I mean, we're talking about a team in the face of adversity, in the face of the worst crisis in Federation history, a team completely broken and fractured and divided. And despite all of the issues having, they were having with their coach, they went on to win the World Cup. I mean, I think it's, it's important to say they didn't win it because of Vildat. They won it despite him. And the fact that they were able to mentally push through and be so incredibly strong mentally I mean, on top of that, playing some really beautiful football, and, and I think consistently across the board, they really were the best team at the competition. Obviously, the one game against Japan was a blip. But other than that, they fully deserved the victory. And it also makes you think, had they had the right resources in place years ago, had they been taken more seriously years ago, they could have possibly won the, Euro the World Cup years ago. And so it's, it's a shame that we aren't talking about the incredibly rich amount of talent that exists in this country as it relates to women's football and how it's not properly being developed or grown or, or treated and how, honestly, like, it, it's so remarkable what they have done here. And instead, we're talking about a man in a position of power who abused that power, took advantage of a moment uh, with a subordinate that he has, and unfortunately... He's so blind to everything that he himself still seems to think he's done nothing wrong when it's glaringly obvious to so many people here in Spain that it was completely inappropriate and never should have happened. 
And so while we are having important conversations that, as I said before, really did need to take place at some point in time, I mean, there deserves to be a part of this conversation around this wi these women winning the World Cup the first time ever in Spanish history. In Spain, I think along with Germany and maybe one other country, I can't remember off the top of my head, but they're the only nation that have had the men's and the women's team win a World Cup. That's huge. And no one is talking about these things. So hopefully when all of this starts to die down and we start to reflect on what a marvelous job they did, that they will in due course get the credit that they so much deserve. Thank you so much, Samra, for helping us out with that one because that is a horrible little situation to try and get your heads around. I mean, Rach, what were your thoughts about what Samra said? I thought her word, so the, where she summed up the work that the Federation are doing as cosmetic, I thought was a very good kind of description. It's surface level. Um, you know, the fact that they're now turning around and threatening legal action shows their true colours. That's what they're really about, actually. Um, and I just think from this, this is a an example, a case on a pedestal here that other federations should be looking at, other federations that are not properly supporting their women's teams. You know, you look at the World Cup, you look at the problems Nigeria and Jamaica had, the issues that uh, Zambia were having with that, with their coach, even established federations like the FA dragging their heels on bonus payments, you know, stuff like that. Stop waiting to be embarrassed by your players. Um, stop making your players having to go above and beyond to get basic equality and step up now because it's the right thing to do not because you're being shamed into doing it mm -hmm. um, and that's what it feels like with the Spanish Federation is any of these kind of what's meant to look like fixes or things they change they've been embarrassed into doing or shamed into doing or they're they're waiting until the last moment to do rather than actually just stepping back and going hang on <laughs> What's the actual right situation to do here? Let's get in a new coach, new coaching staff, rid the dead wood. Let's show that we're making change. Instead, they're like, what is the smallest move <laughs> that we can make so that we look like we care, but actually can someone also uh, sue the players while we're over here, like waving our hands and pretending like everything's fine? It is a very weird two-pronged approach. Uh, <laughs> so, on so one hand, weird. you give, and with the second hand, you just take... You beat down, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you take a baton to the squad. Well, I think if those are the demands and the players, this is their absolutely resolute on seeing those changes through, I think it could be a very long time before we see the Spanish team come back to action because I think, obviously, those changes will take a very long time. People aren't, like Sam said, people aren't going to walk away from those jobs. Um, there'll be elections to determine things, and no doubt... Some more cronies might come in. Just at the start of that pod, you were saying, like, cast your mind back to when we were sitting in that little area in the stadium doing the final episode. And we kind of, I'll need to go back and listen to it. But I remember coming and saying, like, he was mauling all the players. Like, why was he, he snogging their necks? Like, what was going on? And I hadn't even seen the Hermoso one. I think maybe I was, you know, my camera being angled somewhere else. So I hadn't actually seen that. But all the other stuff... You know, because a lot of this, and we see a lot of people going, it was just a kiss. Or headlines saying, Federation in turmoil because of a kiss. It's not just the kiss. The kiss is the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, if the Federation are improving the problems by their responses, like, I don't know, just, yeah, I just, I kind of, it really annoyed me people being like, it was just a kiss. It's so much more than that. Um, so yeah, burn the whole thing down. Agreed. 
Um, and also, I mean, if we're going to look a little bit closer to home, there have also been similar problems at Man United. I mean, controversies have overshadowed what was a great campaign for them last season. We can't detract from, obviously, the, success, the successes of the Manchester United women. They had an incredible season last year. And I know, obviously, I'm a bit of a Man United fan. Ups doing the whole Golden Glove thing. Obviously, getting second place in the WSL. Making it to the Champions League. You know, making it to the FA Cup final. They had an absolute boss season. Yes, they lost to Leicester. They didn't Russo. win anything, yeah. yeah. Oh, that too, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks for that. I'm getting to that. Um but it was reported in mid-August that Manchester United were delaying their decision on Mason Greenwood's future because they wanted to consult the women's team. This was obviously something that popped up in the midst of the World Cup. Obviously, there was a fair few Man United players in the Lionesses squad. I mean, you've got Katie Zellum, you've got Mary Earps, uh, Alessia Russo at the time. No, she'd left, hadn't she? Uh, Ella Toon. Um, a number of obviously players there having to deal with the height, the pressure, the demands, the intensity, the fatigue of getting into the latter stages of the World Cup. And then also at the same time having their club, their own club say to them, OK, well, the weight of the responsibility for making this call on Mason Greenwood's future is on your shoulders. What do you guys think? And even before the Lionesses had any chance to respond or to think or to consider outside of the fact they're in this tournament, they were already receiving an absolute shed ton of abuse um you know people saying why the hell have you not allowed him back in why why are you taking the decision on this you know he's only a young lad he didn't mean it like forgive and forget it was accidentally just... slipped and fell and tried to rape his girlfriend yeah God yeah on. yeah that, apparently yeah that, that's you know completely normal um, that we all have audio of and then they sort of all had this kind of U-turn situation. There was obviously a massive backlash, a U-turn situation. Uh, Man United eventually announcing that Green would be, be sold or going on loan before the end of the transfer window, but still maintained they'd not found any evidence of his guilt. Um, on top of the situation with Mason Greenwood, then it emerges that there's some serious allegations being made against another of their men's team's players, uh, Anthony. Uh, a number of women have come forward about the way that he's behaved towards them. Uh, and then it's also, also emerged after that, that Man United had invited their former women's coach, Jeff Konopka, to the first ever women's match at Old Trafford last year, despite him being sentenced to four years in jail in 2011 after being convicted of offences of indecent assault and gross indecency against girls aged under 16. There's um, more to that as well, but anyway. I mean, let's try and unpack a little bit of this because there's a lot going on. What are your thoughts about the how this how this impacts and how this affects the women's team because to me I, I'm not hearing a lot of things from the women's team and my biggest concern is the kind of support that they're receiving in trying to navigate their way through this absolute shit stop this black hole of morals that seems to be happening with Manchester United I mean Rach what are your thoughts on all this I don't really know what it has to do with the women's team if I'm totally honest like mm-hmm. shouldn't we all just think that's bad or does it is it only let's see if, if the women think it's okay then it's fine. Is that how it works? Like, you know, how much abuse can someone take? Will they allow? It's such a weird kind of moral quandary. Mm -hmm. Like the stuff that we kind of set aside when it comes to sport, if they're a good athlete, generally male, uh, you can get away with an awful lot more in sport, it seems, because it would be just terrible to ruin his career, wouldn't it? And you're like... I appreciate how the legal system has worked in this situation and they no longer had someone filing the complaint anymore. Um, But this thing of not finding evidence, if you worked in an office and that audio came up in the office, the company surely would have a right to say, actually, you know, we're not comfortable with this. 
um, it doesn't it doesn't represent our company very well. If something like that went public, um, I would think that a company is well within their right to get rid of someone for bringing their organization into disrepute, regardless mm-hmm. of whether they have been found guilty or whatever it is. Um, so I just find it really interesting when it comes to sport the things that we're willing to accept or that society is willing to accept in order to see someone kick um, a big bag of air around a field, Mm -hmm. um, which I just, that kind of blows my mind sometimes. And, you know, I say this working in the industry, like I have a job because people go and kick a big bag of air around a field. But I just, that's this, and we see this time and again in sports, the same with sports washing. It's the same with a lot of things. It's that kind of like moral line that doesn't seem to exist in football the same way as it exists in everyday society um so yeah I think the fact that Man United somehow needed to be guided by their women's team to make the right decision uh, and what they've actually done is just sent him out on loan so it's almost like they're saying hopefully everyone will forget about this by the time his loan contract comes to an end and we can just schnee come back into the team and all will notice oh, and you're 100% like 100% that will happen what are I you mean, doing did you see the reception he received I it's mean, there disgusting were like the same team was... the same team coming out and backing Jenny Armoso turns around and welcomes him into the club with open arms it just is yeah Blows None your mind. Of it, it makes sense. It's just quite, it makes you quite like disenfranchised sometimes with mm-hmm. sports. Sometimes you're like, how much, like to kind of go out and then you fight it and then you get shit on social media for saying, for fighting it. And then you're like, okay, well then if I don't say anything, then you get called a hypocrite. And you're mm-hmm. like, it's just sometimes you're like, how much can you keep mm-hmm. arguing against? And that's not the right attitude because someone has to. Someone has, like, we have to keep bringing up these things. We said it about Vilda during the World Cup, you know, and this was before all of Luis Rubiales, like, lost his mind on national television and, and became an absolutely, put his disgusting behaviour on view for everyone to see. Like, if you stop talking about it, it will just carry on and we'll just carry on letting people getting away with whatever they want because they're good at kicking a ball. Do you think that in when these types types of things happen, this is not the first time that you've had sort of like sexual assault allegations, rape allegations against, you know, men in the championship Premier League. Do you think there should be behind closed doors a consultation of the women's players or it should be something that should never be discussed with the women's players at at all? I'm just asking as as a Well, I just it feels like we're saying that women females are up on this higher pedestal where they never do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna be the decision makers on whether something is right or wrong. It, it shouldn't be their responsibility. It's, it's almost like the argument, well, I have a daughter. So no, therefore not their responsibility I'm not... to make the call, but a, no, con- I know, a but consultation with them as to, the, one, how they're feeling, one, what support, and two, what support and uh, the club can be given them in terms that of psychological and emotional. Absolutely. In the club, absolutely. in general. I think one of the things that was slightly alarming for me, obviously we went to the WSL Media <laughs> Day uh, last week. Yes, we did. Every single club put up representatives uh, from uh, their team. Some of the teams also have managers. So we have Man City, there. we uh, brought uh, Gareth Taylor, uh, Jill Ward, Mary Fowler, like an elite selection of Man City players. Man United bought Emma Watson and Evie Rabjohn, who I'm pretty sure are the youngest players in the Man United squad. I think they're 17 and 18, respectively, or both 18. Um, Fairly new to the team as well. Um, And it just felt like they knew that people were going to want to understand how things were with the squad, what support that they were receiving uh, themselves with all the controversy that's gone over in the club, 
obviously on top of that, you've also got Alessia Russo leaving. You've got Mary Earps, you know, sort of coming out and saying that she's not particularly happy with the squad and, and probably and wants to leave, but has been a- unable to in this transfer window. So it does look like the club is on sort of a little bit of a... Um, the shine has come off, I'd say, uh, from, from the last season. And they put forward the most... And I don't, I don't mean this in a, in a patronising way, inexperienced in terms of the kind of issues that they are asking these young p- players to potentially come up against with a pack of journalists. Um, and, I, and I just found that really bizarre. And Mark Skinner not being there either to kind of, you know, assist and support in some of these discussions and it sort of explains some, some of what's been happening with, with the team. And um, that, that to me just kind of echoed like that there was that the club keep on not getting it right. And normally, even without this kind of controversy going on in the club. Normally you would, if you're having a young player, you have a senior player, you've got that kind of level of experience. It gives you a breath of insight into a club, right? As a new player, what it's like coming in, how they're feeling, joining a prestigious club. And then you get the other side of it. You get a player who's been there for a while, etc. Um, You know, I'm sure they might come out and say there were scheduling issues or not everyone was available or whatever line you want to pull. Um, so even from that perspective, putting up two kids to carry the weight of a club for their main media day um, is a lot. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's hard not to look at that and think that was intentional. Agreed. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, right. Let's focus on something positive. I think we all need a breath of fresh air, okay? It's not been a complete meltdown of ethical, you know, morals into a black hole and abyss over this summer. Um, it has actually been quite a fruitful and positive um, couple of months for for quite a few clubs across the WSL. Uh, as you know, the window, the transfer window slammed shut last Thursday. There was a flurry of activity on the last day. Um, I mean, which team rates do you think has sort of had the best window? There's been some big, big sign-ins. I mean, who would you say has been the best sign-in? Let's go with that first. The best signing. Can I answer first? Okay, jeez, ask me the question and don't let me answer it. Bloody hell. Go on. Ms. Hour. Come on. Okay. Come on. Good shout. Unsurprising at United. Women's Um, World Cup, golden boot winner, five goals and an assist. Everything she touches turns to absolute magic. 
in front of goal. Um, yeah, very excited to see her in the WSL. I think it's going to be absolutely crazy. And now I feel less upset about the fact that Russo's gone. There you okay. go. Well, that's sorry. good. Sorry, sorry, you jump in. You go, you go. It's your turn. I do think United have had a good transfer window, but it's a weird one because they've lost so many players and there are so many good players that just never got played. So mm. it's exciting. It's an exciting group to bring in. I think people are maybe a little bit, there's a bit of trepidation around how they're going to be used. Are they going to be used? Um, so I'm excited if these players are getting put in their positions and played regularly, it's going to be an exciting time. Give Man United a bit of depth and hopefully allow them <clears throat> to, you know, to qualify into the group stages of the Champions League. And they're going to need that depth going forward. I think Aston Villa have done an excellent job Shout out to Carla Ward for that. I think she's showing herself as a an excellent recruiter. I think Daphne von Domselaar is one of the best signings in this transfer window. Um, imagine getting in a keeper like that. She is superb. She had a great World Cup um, as she's well. She's 23. And, and she's Euros. 23. I mean, she's unreal. Um, getting her in, you know, nailing down your Anna Pattons, your Kirsty Hansons um, into proper deals rather than on loan. You know, getting Ebony Salmon back is so exciting. Um, you know, and hopefully we'll see more of her and hopefully see her coming back into the England squad as well, which we have. And then Adriana Leon is another good, solid signing. Another player who didn't get enough minutes um, uh, at United. So, yeah, I think her window's been pretty good. I think Arsenal have had a good window. Arsenal have shown serious just? ambition. Um, Big and also yeah also being open about players they've wanted and not gotten you know they've kind of thrown their weight around a little bit I think there's been I think the right back area is still a bit of a a worry for them but I think it's been a really exciting transfer window it's lived up to its expectations I think um, Chelsea did a good bit of work before the the uh, World Cup so Maybe people aren't talking about them as much, but actually I think they had a, a pretty good window as well. Um, I think teams like West Ham and Spurs have, have struggled a little bit, and I think that's down to the fact that they have managers that have only just come in in the summer. So I think maybe January we'll see a little bit more movement from them. Um, but yeah, bloody hell, it's been exciting. We had last minute ones. Gabby George, I didn't see that coming. We all knew Kyra Cooney-Cross was going to come, but then they didn't announce it until quarter past midnight. It was like, guys, like the tension. Um, Brighton have had a good window. I think mm-hmm. Brighton have done really well as well. So... It's really exciting. I think we've got to just briefly touch also on Arsenal. Like I, I think oh, this is going to be their season. I was adamant. What, now um, they don't have to worry about Champions League? Well, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, everyone was like, oh my God, this is going to be the season. Alessia Russo is coming. You've got a World Cup winner, Kadena's coming. You've got Chloe Lacaste. You've got Amanda Illestat. You've got like, you know, Kyra, Kyra, Kyra Cooney Cross. You've got all these amazing signings and then they crash out to Paris FC in like the, not even getting to the group stages, the second, the second qualification round of the, honestly, I was, I was working that game. And if I thought if the World Cup had taught me anything, it was do not assume that fixtures are going to go a certain way. And I was like, no, but this is going to be fine. Surely it's Arsenal. They've just made all these multi-million pound signings. It's Paris FC. They're not a bad side, but Christ, they're nowhere near Arsenal. And then, and then, that game happens, taking it into penalties, and Alessia Russo, who's just scored two like two goals in um, in full time and then extra time, and then Jem Beatty, our hero of the pod, Jem Beatty coming on for that absolute worldy of a header in like what two minutes left to go, taking it to pens. I was like, cool, all day they've got this, <laughs> and then <laughs> Alessia Russo misses that penalty, they get kicked out, and it's just like. You worked so hard from last year to get that champ, that third Champions League spot, and to have it gone in an instant is harrowing. It's but- mad to think semi-finals almost 
to the final of a Champions League and now they're not even through it. I have to say though, I did see Alessio Russo getting some shit on social really? for missing that penalty. Yeah, for being the one. All of this weird narrative of her going to Arsenal to play Champions League, which is not the case given Man United have Champions League um, and they don't even have as many bloody matches to try and get into Champions League as Arsenal do. And then saying like, oh, she went to Arsenal to, to play Champions League and then she's the reason they didn't get in because she missed the penalty. And you're like, She's the reason they got to penalties. They were out, <laughs> like, they were 2-0 down until she came on. Um, Russo so, to the yeah. rescue, man. But she also, was... that's not why she went to Arsenal. That's, like, it's such a naive kind of way of looking at things. Um, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of what's going on at United off the pitch will be having a sway on, on players and where they want to go as well. Well, I mean, I'm hearing now that she's going to be working with the likes of Kelly Smith on the old finishing techniques and things Stop like that. It. So, um, yeah. Yeah, but getting Beth Mead, Viv back, like, it's not just the big signings. Look at the players coming back from injury. Like, the depth, um, you know, for the Conti Cup, obviously, will be great for Arsenal. Um, they'll need that depth because they're going to be going in earlier, aren't they? I think it's that. And Emma Hayes is going to be absolutely hellbent on that Champions League trophy. I think she could even, like, I think she's probably more concerned with the Champions League trophy than she's the WSL title. I mean, they've already done the WSL loads of times before, consecutively. I think Arsenal this year are going to be the golden girls of the WSL. I, I'm okay. calling it. I'm flagpoling in the sand. Love Arsenal that. for the WSL title this year. I mean, bloody hell, it's been a while. It's been Love a while, that. lads. Come on. Just as you said, Emma Hayes, can I tell you something? Go on. Got a little bit of uh, insider information. Something I found out from my sources. I can confirm that Lauren James got her merriments. You're joking. I can confirm. The actual packet? Yeah. Was it checked? The security scan? I don't have any further information. I can just confirm that Lauren James got her merriments. And I know everyone wanted to know that after our final episode. (laughs) That seemed to be, never mind the, you know, World Cup winning match that we were talking about. People want to know about the merriments. There you go. The Hilton are too chill with their security. That's not okay. (laughs) You've just given away the team hotel, Chloe. My God. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's a beautiful little segue. Talking of Lauren James and all of her amazing little mates down at the Lionesses camp. Uh, they're all down there today at St George's Park uh, for an open training session. Uh, they're obviously back in action this Friday for the inaugural Women's Nations League. They play Scotland uh, and then the Netherlands on Tuesday and Belgium at the other nation in the group. So just a quick format summary, because even though the top half of this pod was confusing, this is going to get even Oh my God, more I'm confusing. so excited for you to explain that. Guys, just if you're doing something now while you're listening to the episode, maybe you're like working or mm. like cooking or whatever, mm-hmm. stop. Yeah. Stop it. Put anything down. If you're mm. operating heavy machinery and just tune in because you need to use your brain for this. Go, Chloe, go. So the Nations League is divided into three divisions labeled A to C with small... Easy. Round, so far, so good. Yeah. With small round robin groups within each division. Group winners in B and C are promoted and bottom place teams in A and B are relegated. Are you okay. with me? I'm with you on that. Okay. On top of that, there will be two-legged playoffs with the third place teams in League A and B playing the second place teams in League B and C. Those teams can get promoted if they win. I've lost okay. you, haven't I? I'm, not, I'm there a bit, yeah. Not a chance. The four group winners in League A... Is this like a GCSE maths question? Yeah. Like, <laughs> How many if, apples does Claire have? <laughs> <laughs> if you take away nine apples, give two to Ben, three to, three to Nigel and eight to Gabby. The, the four group winners in League A 
progress to the Nations League finals, which will be played next Friday, as will these... No, it pro- won't. It will be played next February. Next February. <laughs> <laughs> it all ends this week. <laughs> that would be easier if it was just one week of week-long matches and everyone... It was just like a fight to the day. It was like a kind of like Hunger Games of, of football. The four group winners in League A progress to the Nations League finals, which will be played next February, as these... Um, as will the pro- uh, promotion and relegation playoffs. There's more. The finals will be a four-team knockout with the two finalists gaining automatic qualification to the Olympics in Paris. Okay. So (laughs) basically we have like, it's like a Nations League competition Mm. until February. So then Mm. like, that's like who's going to win the Nations League. Yeah. And then the second part of that, Mm. once everyone's done their promotions, relegations and all that shite, Mm. the next part of it is to qualify for a major tournament. Yes. So there's like two parts to it. One is to like get the best possible, get into the best possible position Mm -hmm. in the Nations League and or win the Nations League. And then the other part of it is once you've kind of settled your position in your groups or whatever, qualifying for a major tournament. Is that that right? Okay. The additional layer of complexity in this is that England obviously take on Scotland so England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland are obviously part makeup team GB. But because England and Scotland have drawn each other in these fixtures, you're going to you've put yourself into a situation where some of the players in the Scottish squad who will be up for selection for team GB want to beat England um because obviously they England need Scotland, to be the winners but to, in order f- need to be the winners to qualify for the Olympics so the likes of really this only really affects Erin Cuthbert uh Caroline Weir really um I'd say as the sort of main ones up for consideration for team but it puts them in a bit of a uh, a conflict and I don't really know how you manage that um quite frankly I'd love to know I'd love to hear their thoughts but um I can't imagine that they're going to speak openly and honestly about it (laughs) I can't imagine how that how they even resolve those internal conflicts but it'll be very interesting to see how those two play because if we do see a couple of own goals from Caroline (laughs) Weir and Erin Cuthbert we all know why (laughs) if this now happens it's gonna look like match fixing and I would never ever ever put that out there but you just did it's, it's a controversial one. Um, the, uh, the other big concern about this tournament is obviously how quickly it does come after the World Cup. I think it's only about 26, 27 days from the final that we now that the Lionesses now find themselves back into international fixtures. Some of them obviously played Champions League fixtures or are about to play Champions League fixtures um, at the start of October. There was obviously a lot of concern last year with the ACL endemic that was happening about overloading and scheduling and... Um, now it just feels like that those concerns aren't really being listened to. And when we went to the press conference with Serena the other day when she announced the squad, she was saying how incredibly worried she was about the sort of state of the international football calendar, but how it also presents a lot of difficulties trying to obviously match up the other co- the calendars with other you know federations and countries. So um, yeah, Rach, what are your thoughts? It's absolutely bonkers that we are having an international window before the season even starts. Um, I know club managers aren't ecstatic about that. They're literally only getting players back in, tired players, players who need probably more of a break. And then they're losing them again to international football, which just seems absolutely crazy. And what the Nations League does is it makes every match a competitive match. Every match you need to get points out of in order to progress or qualify. And that makes it 
difficult then to rotate, bring in new players potentially, say, do you know what, we'll rest some big names and let some of the youngsters go up and t- play this match. Um, you know, and it's a difficult one because, you, you know, managers in both international and domestic are expected to win and to do well. Um, and to to make the choice to rest players in big games is a difficult one. It's a necessary one. Um, but it's necessary from both domestic and international. And, you know, I think we saw at the end of the season, last season, this kind of whole uh, ECA stuff and releasing of the players and how the clubs are all saying we need to protect the players. It's like, yeah, we also need to protect them during the, ter- the, made the season as well. So you need both we need to be seeing youngsters coming through and players being rested for England. And you also need to see players being rested in big games or in, not even in big games. You know, didn't Sam Kerr play against like Leicester when they won 9-0 or against Vlasnia where she scored four goals? And you're like, do those players need to be starting all of those matches? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because the Nations League now makes those international windows must-wins for every team. Um, but at some point... <laughs> You're going to have to start putting the players first because, you know, players are knackered and we don't want to see another long list of long-term injuries um, because of this. Uh, And I think, you know, should they qualify for the Olympics, bloody hell, it's another tournament. And then you've got the Euros. So bring on 2026. It seems... Crazy. That's the next time you get a break, guys. Yeah, in two and a half years' time. So, um, you know, hold on to that. Hold on. But what what's the solution, though? You know, the national team coaches are saying they're concerned. The domestic team coaches are saying they're concerned when like who's going to make changes like the Nations League kind of came in probably quicker than it should have because they were trying to beat FIFA to their club World Cup bullshit that they've been bandying around and mm-hmm. It just feels thing, like I think um, you're also a victim of your own success. So for the countries that actually progressed into the World Cup, I mean, they've had another t- additional two weeks of international fixtures. I mean, obviously the Lionesses and Spain. I know Spain are in a slightly different position at the moment, but you know the teams that progressed to the semi-finals will have had Sweden those additional... as well, Australia. Yeah, absolutely, mm. uh, they're all at another disadvantage because they have two less additional weeks. Like all the other teams who went out in the World Cup flew home, got their recovery, started their holidays, and had their rehab. But I mean, already we've seen three injuries uh, just in the Lionesses squad. I mean, Kira Wall. Um, apparently unrelated to the injury that she sustained in the World Cup uh, is out of the the England squad Uh, Beth England as well she just had hip surgery and Lotta Rubin-Moy as of yesterday uh, was taken out of the England squad and replaced with um, Lucy Parker was replaced with Lucy Parker um, again through injury but we don't know the details of that but I'm hoping more should come in this uh, later on this afternoon once once, uh, we've got Serena in that press conference it's difficult and you've got to say the same about Champions League like Champions League starting at the end of August, early September like last year I think it was the end of August um, is mad and you know we should also uh, there's been talk about UEFA looking at uh, the Champions League and, and looking to expand it and I think we do need to expand it we should expand it um, but yeah it's just we need some genius on Excel to look at the calendar and like figure out how this works um, you know because we've also talked about clubs that aren't in the, maybe the top half of the league for example or clubs that aren't qualifying for major tournaments, how important these competitions, your Conti Cups, your Nations Leagues, how important these competitions are to their progression. Mm-hmm. So we can't only be looking at it from a top-down perspective. You know, it has to work for everybody. Um, and whether that's, you know, having a Europa League or a, a, a league, a cup plate, whatever, in the Conti Cup, whatever that might be. Um, it's just the problem at the moment is that women's football is growing and moving so fast that, 
actually stopping to look at the calendar and go, hang on, how do we fix this is really hard. Um, but it is probably one of the most pressing issues in women's football at the moment, other than all the, you know, misogynistic shit we're dealing with. But, you know, we're good multitaskers. <laughs> <laughs> and we need to be. Um, so on top of obviously England playing Scotland this Friday, your lot, your lot are playing on Saturday. Uh, Republic of Ireland are facing Northern Ireland. Rach, what are your thoughts and feelings around this? Well, it's been a while and they're playing at the Aviva Stadium, formerly Lansdowne Road for the first time, which is really exciting. Um, I've seen the number 30,000 floating around in terms of tickets sold so far. Um, I love the fact that like we're going to be at England Scotland what a tasty match that will be and then the next day Ireland Northern Ireland like it's um, yeah it's going to be some serious fun I think on the pitch Um, I'm really looking forward to it obviously there's you know a few changes in the Irish squad when we finally got it Um, and Eileen Gleeson has taken over interim uh, from Vera Paul whose contract was not renewed um, which I think having been at the World Cup and a lot of those seeing a lot of the, the press around that we knew was going to happen. Um, I think it's really interesting how it's been reported because you've obviously had a lot of people come on board with the Irish team over the last few months um, and don't maybe understand the full context of everything that's gone on around Vera Paul. Um, you know, the Federation obviously came out backing her after the initial allegations over from over in the US. Um, they were so many months out from a major tournament um, and I don't think they were going to uh, get rid of her then um, given the nature of the allegations. I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot when they decided not to address the uh, contract uh, conversation ahead of the World Cup. You know, we all knew it was coming up at the end of August um, and all they had to do was say, we're going to put a pin in this conversation until the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And that would have protected the players from the questions they were getting during it because that was the only outlet media had um, when talking about Vera Paul's contract. Um, you know, we've heard it. I'm sure you have as well. It's like her style of coaching is is quite old school, I think. And she likes to have a lot of um, control over the various areas of coaching whether that's nutrition whether that's um strength conditioning all that kind of stuff um and i think the fai after kind of getting to their first major tournament want to step up want to step beyond and i know that you know players some players and some staff it didn't work that style of coaching um it didn't gel with them and diane caldwell has very strongly come out and said that they as a leadership group within the squad tried to uh, affect change during her tenure um, and it didn't work and I think maybe that kind of shows you this this strong-headedness of Vera Powell I think she was very much it's my way and, and I know this works um, which a lot of coaches are like that we see mm-hmm. in the men's game as well um, so for me her not having her contract renewed really wasn't that controversial and I think the FAI need to put their money where their mouth is now and bring in a very good replacement to show what they're about and to show that they want to really progress this team onwards thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the new season we are buzzing absolutely buzzing to be back before we actually got onto this podcast we were talking we wanted to create a nickname for the people for our listeners uh, who are tuning in week in week out to hear me and Rach deliver all this good stuff Um, we did come up with the upfronters we come up with the uh, the frontiers, um, and then Chloe decided you guys only listened for her. So, I did. what the was your nickname? So, yeah. Uh, Cheers yeah. for that. 
So uh, we would love to hear your suggestions. Uh, we obviously want to create a nickname because it just feels like the right thing to do now. It's our third season. Uh, whether this was your first listen or your third season's listen, you've been with us from the start. Uh, leave us a five-star review. It really, really helps the show. And if you haven't already, remember to subscribe uh, so that you don't miss a single thing this season. Remember, you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball. And we are at Upfront underscore pod you can also find us on youtube at upfront pod see you next week we're back baby see you next tuesday no you have just called all of our listeners cunts well done it's a great way to finish. Upfront is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.